to us, or the second we think it's in our possession so we can control it and do whatever we want with it, is the second that we get out of proper stewardship. Last week we took a look at a parable that Jesus told. It's called the parable of the talents. And he said that a Lord, a master, turned over some property to his servants. He gave to one five talents, he gave to one three talents, and he gave to another one talent. And we saw that the first two, the five and the three, they took it and they did what? They traded it, they invested it, and they came back with double. When the Lord came back and was settling accounts with his servants, we saw that the five became ten. We saw that the, uh, the two, it was five, two, and one, we saw the two became four. And then the one, he got into his own mental capacity in his thought process. This is now in my possession, so I'm going to do what I want with it. Now, why would the first two do something different than the one? The first two knew what their master and what their Lord was going to expect of them. He knew when my master comes back, he's going to look to have something in return. He's going to look not for the five. He's going to look for something more. Same thing with the one who had two. But the one who had one took it and he did what? He dug it. He dug a hole in the ground, buried it. And when the master came back, all he had to give back to the master was the one. And so the master was furious. He was upset. Why? Because he only got back what he gave. Because he even said, look, and you should have at least gone and put it in the bank. Because then I would have received it with interest. See, the master is not interested in just getting back what he's given us. When Jesus comes back, He's going to come back to settle accounts, and he's not interested in seeing what you have that he gave you. He's going to want to know, what did you do with what I put in your possession? And so in our lives, and I'm not just talking finances, I'm talking everything. Remember, stewardship is a principle that encompasses our entire lives. He's going to want to know what you did in your job, and he's going to want to know what you did with your money. He's going to know what you did with your kids, and he's going to want to know what you did in your marriage. He's going to want to know what you did at the church he placed you at. He's going to want to know, what did you do with what I placed in your possession? And no matter what the amount, he's still looking for a return. Because the five had a return, but so did the two. The one with two didn't say, well, man, I didn't get five, so... I I couldn't get what he got. He was looking for a return. He was looking to get back more. It wasn't that the one with two had to get ten. Ten wasn't the goal. The goal was interest. And so in proper stewardship, we've been placed something within our possession. We've been placed with abilities and talents and skills. We've been placed uh, around a certain group of influence of people whether it be at your job or whether it be in your home or in your community, you have influence on someone. And so the king's wanting to know, what are you doing with what I've placed in your possession? I've placed you around this sphere of influence. You need to be influencing those people. I gave these kids to you as your children. What are you doing? There needs to be an investment taking place there. I need a return. And so that's what he's looking for. Uh, This week, um, the title of my message is Blessed to be a Blessing. And we've heard that before. It's kind of a churchy term. I'm blessed to be a blessing. I'm blessed to be a blessing. But I kind of want to put a little twist on it, something that you may not have seen before. 
because we really need to take a look at this picture of being blessed. We need to define this blessing uh, because a lot of times we say, well, I'm not blessed or I'm not walking in the blessing, I'm not living in the blessing or, you know, I'm, I don't have the blessed life. But we need to understand what that is. Uh, let's go to Malachi chapter 3. We're going to start there. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 3. And anytime someone hears a pastor mention this verse, they usually assume they're just going to talk about tithe and offering and how you need to give tithe and offering. But we're going to bring a little bit of a twist here. Um, and we're going to see what happens. But let's start with verse 8. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. And you say, in what way have we robbed you? I'll tell you, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Remember, we looked at that in first, and we looked at unity. We looked at unity. And how the Lord here in this position, he's talking to the leaders, but this necessarily is not a true statement. In the sense that the whole nation has not been giving tithe and offering. Because if you read your Bible, we'll see that the Jews, the Israelites, they were tithing. They were giving. They were bringing something to the temple by the hundreds of thousands. But see, we saw that when one's not doing it, they're all not doing it. This is an important concept to think because we come to church and, 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 and we live our lives and we think that we don't affect anybody else. But I am, I am convinced that the church is not the blessed church that it ought to be because the whole church hasn't taken on and hasn't become unified around one system. Maybe, you know, there's those of us that we've seen the little trickle of blessing here and there. We can think of a time or a moment when we were blessed. But as a whole, the church isn't seeing this. Well, has the church ever seen it? Of course, Acts chapter 4. We start with Acts chapter 2. We know 3,000 came into the kingdom in one day. And at the end of that chapter, it said that everyone, all, all came and brought things that they were selling. They were selling their possessions. They were selling lands. They were selling homes. They were selling things. And they were doing what with it? Giving it to the church and allowing the church to disperse it out to those who had need. Well, Acts chapter 4, two chapters later, it says that the entire church, not one, lacked anything. Not one had a need. And by this time, we're up to at least 5,000 because another 2,000 came in in chapter 3. We're up to 5,000 people. That means I could get 5,000 people together, pass this microphone around, and let everyone say what you have need of. And by the end, everybody has said, I'm good. I don't need anything. We're, we're all right. But, you know, I could probably pass this microphone around in this room of this amount of people and we probably have some needs. My hand's the first one going up. We have some needs. There's some things that we need. Well, why aren't we seeing this as a church as a whole? Because of the unity. The unity has to come where we are all in agreement around the word. And the word, the command is to give tithe and offering. He says right here, you have robbed me. Now, how do you rob somebody? By taking something that doesn't belong to you. If you have robbed God in tithes and offerings, that means you've taken something that doesn't belong to you. And we've looked at that, okay? So, again, we're looking at the unity on this deal. Now, let's keep going. Verse 10. 
Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. And look what he says. Pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Verse 11, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I want to look at this word bless in these words blessing, because here's what we've done a lot of times. If, if, If someone... You know, if you go out to dinner or go out to lunch after church today and you get up to pay for your bill and and the waitress says, you don't have to worry about it, someone already took care of it. Then we would say, somebody has blessed us. We'd either say, the Lord has blessed us. If you know who did it, then you, they gave us a blessing. Okay, we look at it as an action. But in this instance, it's not an action word. It's not a verb. A verb is acting, but a noun is a person, place, thing, or idea. It's something. And in this case, the word blessing is a noun. It is a position. It is a thing. See, we think, here's what we think. I'll sow Sunday morning, and then on Monday we're looking for God to act on our behalf and bless us. The action. But he's saying here that if you give tithe and offering, if you sow to me, then I will put you in a position of blessing. Let's go a little further. Genesis chapter 1, verse 20, 27. Let's start with Genesis 1, 27. We've looked at this very many times. And it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Now look what verse 28 says. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. They were blessed. This word again being a a, a position word, a noun word, that they were placed inside of a blessing. They, they lived in perpetual blessing. We're not looking for a moment of blessing. We're not looking for an instance. It, it doesn't say that, you know, God gave them breakfast, so they were blessed. It wasn't in that moment. It was in the entire picture of living a blessed life. They were living a blessed life. One, one step further, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 28. <clears throat> And verse 1 says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now look what it says in verse 3. Blessed you shall be. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall you be 
in the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flocks. And then he goes on and he goes on and on and says, blessed shall you be. It's a, it's a being. It's a state of being blessed. Perpetually living a lifestyle of being blessed. Psalms chapter 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Down in verse 6, he says, goodness and mercy will follow me. See, a lot of us think, man, I'm really believing for this job. If I get this job, it'll be a blessing to me. But see, the blessing follows you. See, if we can get, get to understand that we're, the, the Lord will bless me with a job, no, you will get a job because you are blessed. Because you are in the position of being blessed. See, a lot of times we think, when I go to the job, I'm, I'm receiving my blessing because the, the Lord gave me this job. And it, no, they received the blessing because you came on the scene. See, you just became a blessing to your job. This is a mind shift. This is changing things. We think that God's blessing only shows up when he acts on our behalf or when something happens. But we have to get this shift to we are in a perpetual state of being blessed. We are blessed so my bills are paid. Not my bills are paid and that's my blessing. We have to change this around. Otherwise, we will only consider ourselves in a blessed position when God moves on our behalf or when we see something take place. Your confession will change. I am blessed, so my bills will have to be paid. I am blessed, so my marriage is strong. I am blessed, so my home is full of peace. I am blessed, so I don't run out of gas or I always have things to take care of. I always have what I need to take care of anything in my life. See, that's a perpetual state of being blessed, not waiting for a blessing. And see, a lot of us are waiting for the blessing. And see, that word blessed, that word blessed over in Genesis, when he blessed them, that's a, that means gift or present. That means he gave them something, but it was a position that they were constantly and perpetually living in. See, Adam and Eve didn't say, yeah, you know, God blessed us once. It was God placed us in a position of blessing. That's the first thing we have to understand is that we are in a position of being blessed. And a lot of times, you know, we've got all kinds of things going on in our lives. Got all kinds of things daily trying to tear us down. Daily that we fight against in this world. And we forget that we're blessed. We forget that we are in that position. I'm going to tell you right now, I cannot be the only one reminding you of this. And you know as well as I do, hearing it once a week ain't going to cut it. You need to hear it on Monday, you need to hear it on Tuesday, you need to hear it on Wednesday and Thursday, all throughout the week, that you are blessed and you live in a perpetual state of being blessed. Now, were there stipulations? Of course. Deuteronomy, he starts out by saying, Now it shall come to pass, comma, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments. There's stipulation there. If you are living according to his will, and if you are in line with his word, then you can claim, I am blessed. Blessed shall you be. That's the key. But we have to remind, these, we have to remind ourselves of this stuff every day of our lives. 
And it's so easy to only go by the scene. Everything falling around us, everything falling apart around us, things not taking place that we know need to take place. We're still searching for things that we know we need in our lives. You have to remind yourself. If you have to get this CD or if you have to go online and listen to this every day until you get it, you need to do that. Hearing it on Sunday and hearing it on Wednesday night will not do it. Will not cut it. I've never seen anyone. I've never seen anyone be successful. I've never seen anyone walk out this kind of lifestyle by just going to church on Sunday and Wednesday, and that's the only time they put it in front of them. It's someone that continued to meditate on the Word. It's someone that continued to obey the Word of God and live a lifestyle worthy of God that lived this kind of lifestyle. That was excited. Now, here's why we need to understand this position of being blessed. This position of being blessed. First of all, I want to say this. In Genesis chapter 1, you know, a a lot of times we think of, and and we know in Psalms it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless His holy name. We think that we're the ones blessing God because it also means, blessing also means to honor, to give honor to in adoration. Or to bestow upon. But notice in Genesis chapter 1 that God was doing that to Adam and Eve. He was blessing man. Why? Because he placed man in the same position that he wanted to rule and operate in. But on the earth. See, he put Adam and Eve in a position on the earth that he would have been in if he operated earth. But when he created Adam and Eve, he put Adam and Eve in control of all the earth. That verse says that he gave man dominion. In essence, he was giving honor and adoration to Adam and Eve as rulers over the earth. What's he doing? He's saying, I have placed you in the earth to control it, and I honor you being in that position. A lot of times we think, you know, we're the ones that have to bless God, and we do. We bless God, we adore Him, we honor Him, we sing praises, we worship Him. But God sees us in that position on the earth, that we are in control, we are in charge of things, and so He recognizes us in that position. I'm telling you right now that God sees us in a position that most of us don't see ourselves. Period. A lot of us just see ourselves as, you know, unworthy sinners. We're still trying to pursue something. But you've got to understand, when salvation came, when Jesus died on the cross, he took sin out of man, and he placed man in a position of righteousness. That is how God sees you. He doesn't see you as trying to become good enough, trying to be good enough, trying to do the right things. He already sees you as that. Paul said in Romans that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This might blow your mind, but the way God sees Jesus is how he sees you if you are born again and in the kingdom of God. Now, are we still trying to attain up to a holy life? Of course. Are we still trying to perfect that? Of course. But spiritually, spiritually speaking, God already sees you as good enough. 
The price that Jesus paid on the cross was all that was needed. And if you don't see yourself, then you're telling yourself that what Jesus did wasn't good enough and that there's still more that needs to be done. No, God sent his son. He put a plan in motion to redeem man, to get man back in that righteous position that Adam and Eve were in before they sinned, before they fell. And although we are all born into sin, when you are born again, all that old stuff is taken away. Second Corinthians 5.17 says you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have been passed away. All things have become new. Either that verse is a lie or it's the truth. And we know that God's word is truth. We know that God's word never fails. We know that God's word will never pass away. Now, here's the thing. And I don't really know why I'm going here, but this is for somebody. Here's the thing. The enemy is attacking you on the level of a righteous king. Let me make that a little clear. The devil knows who you are. The devil knows the power and the authority that you have. And you wonder, why is he coming against me so hard? Why are all these things happening in my life the way they are? It's because he knows the power you contain. The problem is, is the enemy fights us on this level, but we fight back on this level. This is why your knowledge and the revelation of who you are in Christ Jesus is so important. This is why knowing that you live a perpetually blessed life is so important to our operation on this earth. The devil is fighting and attacking you in the position that God has placed you in. But yet we don't know. I mean, if you can just picture in your mind a king. Someone who has complete charge over everything, yet doesn't know he's a king. Think of all the authority and the power that he has that is only a knowledge away. If he could just find out. I mean, if you were watching that movie, that would be so frustrating. You'd be yelling at the screen, you're a king, you're in control. And the enemy is just beating him down and beating him down and beating him down. But man, the second you find out who you are in Christ Jesus, the second you find out what Jesus did on the cross, he didn't just give you access to a heavenly kingdom that is one day we'll obtain it, but while we're here on the earth, we just have to deal with everything around us. No, God placed us in charge. And when Jesus came back, he gave back that authority and that dominion that man once had. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Look at Jesus' life. Look at everything he did on the earth. He was calming storms. He was raising dead people. He was rebuking demons. He was cursing leprosy. Blind people are seeing again. Deaf people are hearing again. The lame are walking again. There was not one thing that Jesus did not have dominion or control over. Not one. Not even a fig tree. Why? Because that was what man was supposed to be doing all along. That was Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And he gave them dominion 
over all the earth, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, everything that creeps on the earth and over all the earth. Adam lost that in the garden. He lost that perpetually blessed lifestyle. He lost the authority. He didn't lose access to heaven. Adam and Eve were not wandering around in the garden saying, when are we going to go to heaven? Can't wait to get to heaven. If Adam never ate the fruit, where would they be today? If the only way death comes in is disobedience to God's word, then where would they be today if they had never eaten the fruit? And so we've, we've boiled this thing down, we've limited, and we have resorted to just hoping and wishing one day heaven would finally come so we could finally get to heaven. You know what Jesus said? Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, and he said, pray that, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what Jesus said? He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know what he told Peter in Matthew chapter 16? He said, upon you, Peter, I'm going to build the church, my church, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. It didn't say, he didn't say whatever's loosed in heaven will be loosed on earth. He said it first takes place here. And then heaven will operate accordingly. I'll tell you, heaven is waiting on you. Heaven is waiting on us, the church, to operate and act in the authority that Jesus gave back to mankind. This isn't being preached in every church this morning. I know that. Because it's easier to just say, you know what? God's with you. He loves you. No matter what you're going through, no matter hard. No matter how hard it gets, even though it's tough here, one day Jesus is going to come back and we're all going to go to heaven. That's an easy message to preach. I understand that. That's much, that's much more acceptable than saying, you know what? You have a plan and a purpose for your life on this earth. Jesus has made way for man to operate back in what God originally placed us here for. What? That brings more responsibility now. Well, now I'm a little more responsible tomorrow morning when I go clock in at work. There's a little more that operates there. Well, let's keep going. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. God has placed us, when he blessed man... The blessing that he promises man is a perpetual lifestyle of blessing. We have to get out of this mode of, God, I gave you a check yesterday morning at church, so you need to meet my needs today. We have to get beyond that. You are blessed. That is a position that you live and dwell in. 
Now, why? A lot of us, when we think of blessing and, and, and something that has hurt the church over the past years, is that we have taken this blessed lifestyle and we have become so selfish with it and so self-centered with it. And this is the key. Uh, you could say this is the third principle to, to stewardship. The first week we saw that getting rid of ownership is the first key. You won't do anything with stewardship if you think it all belongs to you. So we have to understand lordship. And then last week we saw the talents that he's looking for a return. But now this week is the third week. Blessed to be a blessing. Why are you blessed? We have, you know, preachers out there that say, you know, I believe God for a boat so you can believe God for a boat. I believe God for a jet so you can believe God for a jet. And it's just become so monetary. And it's just become so chasing after everything in the world that we've become deceived and we've gotten away from what a real, prosperous, blessed life is supposed to look like and why we're even blessed in the first place. Look what Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. He says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He's saying the perpetual lifestyle of being blessed is so that you can give, not receive. The whole point of you living this perpetual lifestyle of living in a blessing is so you can give it away. That's what he's saying. Look at uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure. Press down. Shaken together and running over, it will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, we don't give because we owe something. I already told you that Christ has already paid the debt. There's nothing you owe. We're not doing good acts because we're trying to be good enough. We're not giving away because we're trying to obtain to something. We give because we were given to. Look, Jesus, or uh, uh, God, he follows his own principle. Back in Genesis, God made a law, created a principle, and he said, seed time and harvest, it will never cease. Seed time and harvest. That means if you put something in, it will come back up. That means if you sow, then you will reap. That is a principle. That is a law. It will happen every time. It cannot be changed. It's just like the law of gravity. If I put something in the air, it's going to come back down. It is a law. Well, God made a law and said, seed time and harvest, it will never cease. And God followed his own rule. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that those that would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God 
knew if I want more sons in my kingdom, then I need to sow a son. And over in John, Jesus said, look, if a seed, unless it falls to the ground and dies, it will not bear any fruit. What's he saying? He's saying, if this seed, my seed, who I am, if it doesn't go to the cross and die, then there will be no more sons. But since Jesus was the seed that went to the cross and died, now God has many sons on the earth. Do we see that? God followed his own seed time and harvest principle. And so, why are we blessed? We are blessed to give away. We are blessed to be a blessing. I'm going to tell you right now, the one that lives in the kingdom that is the most excited and lives the most fulfilled life is the one that is always looking to bless someone else and always looking to give something away. Period. The most excited, happy people that I know in my life right now are those that are not tied to their things, and at the instant, if God directs them to, will give something up. No matter what it is, it doesn't matter if it's food, it doesn't matter if it's paying for someone's meal, it doesn't matter if it's uh, uh, sowing into someone's life, it doesn't matter if it's a vehicle. I've seen people give away cars. Give away cars. And most of us are in just the simple pattern of just trying to get a nicer one or a newer one or another one. Being obedient to God when he says to give it away. See, that's the true test of stewardship. You think about those stewards in Matthew chapter 25. The five and the two. They had to give something up to get ten. They had to give something up to give four. There's a principle at stake. And if you sow, then you will reap. And looking out for others is the stewardship principle. What you have in your possession is not just for you. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 2. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Jesus even followed this principle. In verse 3 it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now look what he says in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, when he says, let this mind, he's pointing to something. He's saying, let this mind. Well, what's he pointing to? Esteeming others better than yourself. Not looking out for your own interests, but looking out for the interests of others. Now, let this mind. That was the mind of Christ on the earth. Christ's interest, Jesus' priorities when he was on the earth, was not himself. You won't see him anywhere in the Bible looking out for himself, trying to hunt down a meal, or trying to figure out how he's going to pay bills, or why aren't they giving to my ministry. He was looking out for others. He spent all day with the people, all day teaching, 
all day healing, all day in their homes, looking out for someone else's interest, esteeming others better than himself. Verse 6 says, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus humbled himself. He even said, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, become a servant of all. If you want to be the greatest, if you want to rule over many, you better learn to serve. Isn't that what the master told one of the told the uh, his servants? He said, "You were faithful over little, so now I will make you ruler over much." Last week we said that how you take care of the seed determines how you will take care of the tree. Many people are mishandling the seed that God gave them, and so they're not going to get the tree because he knows they're not even taking care of the seed. They're not going to take care of a tree. What's the little that he's placed in our lives? He wants us to be faithful with that to, so we can prove to him that we will be able to rule over many. That we will be able to take care of the great things. So this was God's, or this was Jesus' mindset when he was on the earth. He humbled himself and he esteemed others better than himself. He was a proper steward of what God gave him. What God placed in his possession. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, But this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. Now we're talking about attitude. Now we've gone beyond just the act of giving, and now we've moved into how you give. I saw someone uh, earlier this week says, it's more than just saying thank, thank you, it's being thankful. We might, it might be easy for us to tell God thank you, but are we really thankful? Is that the attitude of our heart? We need to check that. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. He's saying what, what is given to you by God is given to you to work, is given to you to do something with. And see, this goes completely beyond the American mindset of how do you get more by keeping and hoarding what you have, by looking out for yourself. No, no investor, no banker in this nation is going to tell you, let me, let me tell you the, let me tell you the quick, quick principle to getting more. You want to double that? Go find the homeless man and give it all to him. There's no investor that's going to tell you to do that. I can promise you right now, there's no bank in this town that he's going to go to. Look, I'll tell you how to double this. You'll, you'll get it. You'll get 100% return in one week. Now, what are they going to tell you to do? Stick it in the bank. Sit on it a little bit. Hoard it. Keep it to yourself. But now we're operating according to the kingdom of God that says, Give, and it shall be given to you. 
What's he saying? What you have to be a proper steward of it needs to be given away. Now, I'm not telling you to drive down, go downtown Valdosta to find the first homeless man you come to and give him your life savings. But what I'm saying is, is we have to have a bigger vision and a bigger picture and being outward-minded instead of inward-minded. That's where the true stewardship comes into play. Remember, we're taking care of something that doesn't belong to us. The things that we have, they don't belong to us anyways. We've already covered that. He is the Lord. A Lord means owner of property. He owns you and everything you own. See, I don't own my vehicle. So if God tells me to go help this person move and use my truck to do it, then I do it because he's the Lord over it. I'm not the Lord over it. I'm just in possession of it. I don't own anything. And that's hard. The American dream, you know, own your own home and and have a family and get a dog and have a great job, retire by 55. And it's all centered around us. But God's word changes the whole thing. It says if you want to, if you want to, properly steward the things that I've given you. Look out for others. Look out for others. Have their interest before your interest. Let's keep going there. Uh, verse 10, 2 Corinthians 9, 10. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower. See, he's given seed to the sower. He's giving more to sow to those who are sowing what they have. And bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. He's saying, this is your supply. This is your source. I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't see God as your source, you will never be a giver. If you don't see God as your source, then you will never be a giver. Look, if the world is your source, if your job is your source, if that's your source of income, then you are limited to that source of income. You are limited to that forty, fifty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year they give you. Period. But when God is your source, he's, got, he's tapped into an unlimited supply. And he can get you exactly what you need when you need it. That's the blessed lifestyle. We're blessed to be a blessing. If God is your source, you will find yourself being able to give it away the easiest. Verse 13, while through the proof of this ministry... They glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. Liberal. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Go ahead and turn over to 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to close there. This is the blessed lifestyle. We are blessed to be a blessing. It is time 
that we turn this around and as a church, we quit looking for the blessing just so we can drive the nicest car or have the biggest house. God gives seed to the sower. I promise you, if you put your, yourself in a position to be a sower and to give liberally, you will be the one that is living the blessed perpetual life. That's why you're blessed. Many of us, we tie our blessing to our current living status, where we live, what our job is, what we drive, what our income is, and we say that's how blessed we are. But see, the blessing of God follows you wherever you go. For a truly blessed person, the blessing follows them. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That means if I lose this job, I'm still blessed. And I will go into the next job blessed. If I don't have this car, I'm still blessed. If I don't live in this house, I'm still blessed. See, the blessing isn't tied to what I have or where I live or what I own or where I work. The blessing is tied to my Father. That's my blessing. And I have those things to be a blessing to others. That's the lifestyle. Look at this in 1 Kings chapter 17. In verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. He's talking to Elijah. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose, went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Does not sound like a very blessed life. How many of you would think that's a blessed person? They're going to eat their last meal and they're going to die. That's it. Okay? Not much of a blessing there. Verse 13, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Here's the first thing most of us do when God asks us to, to be a blessing to someone else. We look at what we have, and we don't think that it's even sufficient for us. And look what the prophet said. The prophet said, first, make it for me. Then he said, afterward, go and make yours. I mean, she only had enough for her and her son. 
So if he makes him one, one of them's not eaten. And so instantly, that quick, God took a situation with someone that didn't look like they had any way to be a blessing to anyone else. I'm telling you right now, regardless of your situation, regardless of where you're at, regardless of what you think your current condition is, God is looking for you to be a blessing to someone else, even if it's all you have. Because remember, the blessing follows you. The blessing is on you. The blessing is what you live in. So even if you give up the last of what you have, you're still blessed. It's not tied to that. But God, this is the only running vehicle I have. You want me to give it to these people? And he's saying, you're still blessed with or without that. And he's already promised, seed time and harvest, give and you will receive. Give away, esteem others, look out for others beyond your own interest, beyond your own behalf. Look, this is hard, but it's trusting in a king that is more real than anything we live in. And so no longer should we control our blessing and control the status of how blessed we are based upon our current living condition or what we have coming in or what we own. It's based upon, am I living for the king? Am I doing what he's asked me to do? Why didn't, why didn't he send Elijah to someone that had more than that? I mean, the outlook on her life was about as grim as it can get. And God is still saying, I have placed something in your possession. I've given you something. Now, will you be a proper steward over it? Because that flour and that oil, it wasn't even hers to begin with. And see, that's what we have to get out of. We think the things that we have are ours, and they're for our benefit. But the second the king, who's the owner of it anyways, says to do this with it, then we do it. But God, this is the last 50 bucks I have. I've got to get gas by the end of the week. I don't get paid again until next Tuesday. And he's saying, but I'm asking you to give it here. That's proper stewardship. Because if I don't, then I just took something that didn't even belong to me anyways, and I just did something with it that the owner didn't want me to do. I don't own my home. I rent it. And if the owner told me to do something with it, and I refused to do it and did something that I wanted to do with it, hey, I want to I wanna paint the, the walls gray. Well, no, I don't, I don't want the walls painted gray. And if I do it anyways, then who's in the wrong? I am. I don't own it. I can't do with it whatever I want to do. I can't even turn around. That'd be like me selling it or, or renting it to someone else. And that's what we're doing. We're taking what God has given us. He's asked us to do something with it. 
And because we think that we're tied to that, when we're not tied to that, we're tied to the king. So we have to learn to be obedient to the one who is in ownership. Because we are in possession, but we're not in ownership. It may, it may be in our grasp, but someone else is still calling the shots. And that's proper stewardship. I'm going to tell you right now, those are the people that I know in my life are the most blessed. And when I say the most blessed, I don't mean have the most money. I don't mean have the greatest jobs. I don't mean drive the newest vehicles. I don't mean have the biggest homes. I mean that they are blessed, they are prosperous, they are content with their lives, and they live the most happiest and fulfilled lives. They're not thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about how am I going to get this or how am I going to do that. You know why? Because they can go to God and say, God, I was obedient with what you placed in my control. See, the, the, the stewards, the servants the, with the five and the two, they could stand before their master boldly knowing that I'm going to get a good report because I did with it what he wants me to do. There's no insecurity. There's no fear. There's no worry. And we have to grasp this. We have to quit digging a hole and putting in the ground the things that God has placed in our control. Because guess what? When he comes back, you're still going to have that, and he's going to say, where's the rest of it? When I told you to do this with it, did you do it? When I told you to give it here, did you give it? Or were you concerned about yourself? I mean, that was the, that was the servant's problem. Well, I was fearful. Well, it's not about you. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about what I want you to do with what I've placed in your possession. That's how we live a happy, fulfilled, blessed life. It's all about controlling something that doesn't belong to us. What are we doing with that? You know, if you had something that belonged to you, something of high treasure, something of great importance, and you place it in someone else's care, you know you're, when you get back, you don't want less than what you gave them. You want them to take care of it. You want them to do right with it. It's the same for us. We're in control. We're in, we're in possession of something. But we've got to understand who really owns it, who it really belongs to, and we need to take care of it the way he would want us to take care of it. Amen? Well, Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, I thank you that even now we begin to examine our lives, we begin to take a close look at the things that you have.